turn this we you into a we us. I'm Joe Fulgham. This new thermal grill is a total pain. I'm Kevin Leeson. The squeeze machine, a touching achievement. I'm Torn Atkinson, and this is Caustic Soda. Touch comes from late 13th century, make deliberate physical contact with, from old French tachier, meaning to hit or knock, from vulgar Latin, Mm. tocare, to knock or strike, as in a bell. So the reason we say we touch people is because Latin people uh, knocked bells. And I guess that's where the talk from the tick-tock and a clock is. Because tick-tock and don't stop, unconfirmed. Halfophobia is the fear of being touched. What? Half a phobia? Half a phobia. I want the full phobia. I don't want a whole phobia. Most often, half a phobia exhibits itself as an acute exaggeration of the normal tendencies to protect one's personal space, expressed as a fear of contamination or invasion. Sometimes the fear is restricted to being touched by people of the opposite sex, expressed as a fear of sexual assault. Many boys who have been the victims of sexual abuse have an aversion to being touched, one victim describing being touched as it burns like fire, which would cause him to freeze up or lash out. What I need to know right now is why is it halfophobia and not takaraphobia? Uh, because takare was vulgar Latin. <laughs> okay. But we didn't, we didn't talk about the origin of half. It means pain. H-A-P-H. Meaning pain. I also have, I want to talk about omphalophobia. Ooh. Omphalophobia. Wait, wait, wait that one. Uh, that's where you're, that's oompa, the phobia of Oompa Loompas. Well, I know, <laughs> I know what omphaloskepsis is, so I'm trying to figure out what the omphalo part means. Omphaloskepsis is when you contemplate your navel. Uh-huh. So I'm... That's being when you're afraid of having your navel being touched. Afraid of one's belly button being touched or yeah. tugged on, as well as seeing... Tugged other- on. Or nice. well as seeing an only for Audis. only for Audis. as well as seeing other people touch their own belly button. Oh, that is disturbing. Many omphalophobes oh. state they feel like their umbilical cord is linked to their internal organs. Sure, some extreme cases may become <laughs> nauseated from just a picture of a navel. Right. Czech supermodel Daniela Pestova admits to being an omphalophobe. My belly button is extremely sensitive. I hate having it touched. It's almost physical pain. But isn't your umbilical cord removed one oh. after you're born? Yes, no, it's psychological, that part in nature, I'm sure. There's nothing connecting the inside of your belly button. True or false? Dr. Rob? <laughs> Let me hold on. Yeah, th- no, there's nothing connecting your cut-off umbilical cord, which atrophies. Well, it's Are you sure like I can't just any... cut around my my navel, and then if I pull on my navel, all of my internal <laughs> organs will come out I'm along with it? pretty sure that won't Like a happen. magician trick? Yeah. In the intestines? I do like that if there was a magician who does that trick. That would be you know, That would be pretty dope. The somatosensory system is made up of a number of different receptors, thermoreceptors, photoreceptors, mechanoreceptors, and chemoreceptors, as well as sensory modalities like proprioception, which means pressure, mechanoreception, which is touch, thermoreception, which is temperature, Mm -hmm. and nociception, which is pain. The sensory receptors cover the skin, skeletal muscles, bones and joints, internal organs, and the cardiovascular system. All right. Touch, or tactile perception, is formed from the combination of pressure, Mm -hmm. skin stretch, vibration, and temperature, 
processing primarily occurs in the parietal lobe of the cerebral cortex. That's your brain. Information is sent there from receptors via nerves through tracts in the spinal cord and finally into the brain. Tracts in the spinal cord. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I got a, a very short pop quiz here for you. All right. A. True or false? Blind people's sense of touch is heightened. Ooh. Uh, I'm going to say true. I, I think most people say true, so I'm going to say false. Many studies have shown that passive tactile spatial acuity is enhanced among blind individuals oh. compared to sighted individuals of the same age, possibly because of cross-modal plasticity in the cerebral cortex. If hmm. they, through the miracle of science, get their sight back, do their sense of touch go back down to normal? That's a question for when we start uh, making blind people sighted again by yes. putting in like robotic eyeballs Well, and they're starting to do that with like yeah. uh, little chips in their brain and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, Some people. Individuals who have been blind since birth consolidate tactile information even more rapidly. Mm-hmm. Because they've never been able to see, so they can stay focused mm-hmm. on touching. Sometimes they don't even have to touch things in order to be able to feel them. Oh, yeah, like Daredevil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, there's a UC Berkeley study regarding touch and social situations. What happens when a doctor gives a patient a sympathetic touch? Sympathetic what, touch. Sympathetic touch. What is the effect of that? Their patient explodes. Oh, nice. So they, uh, <laughs> we'll talk about the death touch later. I'm going to think that their pain lessens. Uh, they fall in love instantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's like Freud. That's or, a Freudianism. Oh, wait. Actually, uh, it also could be that the doctor feels the pain. <laughs> oh, Because that's empathy. what sympathetic means. All right. Okay. Uh, no, in fact, patients reported that they believed their doctor's visit lasted twice as long oh. as <laughs> patients who went untouched. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> like in a good way or bad, oh, God, I couldn't get out of there. Uh, he touched me, and I was just like, when can I leave? Students who received a supportive touch from a teacher mm-hmm. had what effect in the same study? Mm, they reported it to the police. <laughs> <laughs> The same thing, except like super, the, what I was describing, super uncomfortable. It was too long. Was, it, fact, a, was it a geography class or physical fitness? <laughs> makes a difference. Was it, was it in the change room? I think we're talking about academic studies. Okay. In, in fact, they found students who received a supportive touch on the back or arm from a teacher were twice as likely to volunteer answers in class as those who did not. Uh-oh. So they became like little teacher's pets from right. a teacher petting them. That's, yes. That's where the word comes from. Yeah. In fact, in the same study, volunteers tried to communicate a list of emotions by touching a blindfolded stranger. And the participants were able to communicate eight distinct emotions from gratitude to disgust to love with 70% accuracy. So simply hmm. touching a blindfolded person, saying, you know, emote this emotion and the person would say, what they thought they were trying to communicate with their touch. How many percent of the, is of the 70% time? 70% accuracy. 70%. Wow, that's, that's pretty good. Pretty, yeah. yeah. But all the emotions were pain. <laughs> Just really, pain. yeah. They, pain they and got horror. Punch. They're digging their claws into their arm. <laughs> they, oh, you think, you think they got 100% of the pain one right, and it yeah. lifted up the average yes, from so. 50 yeah. uh, from love and gratitude. When's the last time any, uh, everyone here has touched someone? I've uh, touched people every day. Today? Yeah, I touched a person today. Who did you touch? I touched a good friend of mine. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think we need any more. Wow. I've been stuck in my basement editing like the last few days. Dogs do not count. (laughs) Oh, I I shook hands with some people yesterday when we did game night. They came over and I was like, hey, how's it going? We shook hands. Yeah. In social situations. I'm constantly in social situations. I'm touching people constantly. I touch people every day. Kevin works on film sets. Aren't they all huggers and stuff? 
There's a lot of hugging. There's yeah. a lot of hugging in yeah. the film industry. At the Absolutely. End, at the end of the day. What about you, Tor? Do you? Uh, do you? I've never touched anyone, <laughs> including my mother. That's that's right. <laughs> he, came, he came out of the birth canal and went. That's enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that kind of leads into disorders of touch. Okay, uh, touch disorders. All right. Hyperalgesia. Who knows what that means? Uh, Jesus is involved somehow. <laughs> well, because hyper means lots, and the algesia is the part of analgesic. I'm going to say it means uh, you're super sensitive to pain. That is exactly correct. Okay. Oh, wow. Hyperalgesia can be experienced in specific focal areas or as a body-wide form. So you, maybe you just don't like being touched in your nipple. Okay. All right. Example. Yeah, You've touched nipples are painful. I, All right. I have a few spots where you shouldn't touch me. Okay. Hyperalgesia can be induced by an allergic response. Immune cells mm. interact with the peripheral nervous system and release pain-producing chemicals, uh, namely cytokines and chemokines. Okay. Right. All right. So, it's, mm. so the chemicals don't make you feel pain, but they make it so if you feel anything, it feels pain. That's I right. Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That would be terrible. Opioid-induced hyperalgesia may develop as a result of long-term opioid use in the treatment of chronic pain. Oh, how ironic. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, you have chronic pain. You take an opioid. To and then reduce the, the pain, and then you have increased sensitivity to pain, pain because of the opioid long-term use. So then you stop doing the opioid, and the pain is terrible, so then you have to do more, more opioids. opioids. Yes, correct. And that's how that cycle... Then there's the cycle of life. And then there's some people who see that, and they go, that's terrible. And there's other people who go, that is a business opportunity. Uh, yeah. <laughs> True enough. One unusual cause for focal hyperalgesia in the animal kingdom is Joe Guess. I, uh, southern hemisphere southern uh fire ants and uh making them feel pain when they touch each other so they can't swarm mm-hmm. platypus venom oh, okay oh i always wondered why platypus had venom it's to make you it's to make Focal you hyperalgesic oh okay yeah so where it stings you then you're sensitive to pain in that point in that area from then on another disorder is tactile allodynia okay allodynia mm-hmm. painful to be touched Okay. Sounds very similar to hyperalgesia. Pain due to a stimulus which does not normally provoke pain, and it often occurs after an injury. Hmm, okay. Okay. And allodynia is different from hyperalgesia, an exaggerated reaction to a stimulus which is normally painful. So it's different in that it, a, a hypoalgesia, if you get a painful thing, it makes more it more painful. painful. This takes something that wouldn't be painful mm, and right. makes it painful. Yes. Okay. Oh, that sucks. There are four different types. Okay. Static mechanical allodynia. Uh-huh. That's pain in response to a light touch or pressure. All right. Handshakes and whatnot. Dynamic mechanical. Well, it depends if you're a firm handshaker or a... Well, it said light pressure. Right. Mm-hmm. So any handshake. Not a handshake from your older brother where he tries to crush your hand. Oh, yeah. That, that, that doesn't require uh, allodynia to like no. be painful. You've learned the trick on how to beat that, though, right? Punch him in the eye? <laughs> <laughs> that is a trick to beat that? <laughs> Is there another one you know about? Yeah, the other yeah, one is expand there's a, there's your a, hand. There's a there's a way to there's a way to uh, position your fingers so that when they try to crush you, it just won't do anything. Oh, okay. oh hmm. I can't remember what it is now, but we'll Google it. I'm pretty sure it's in the. Uh, eye. If you Google finger position, position your finger in the eye. Yeah, yeah. Of the <laughs> of the, the person attacking you. There's dynamic mechanical allodynia, which is pain in response to stroking lightly. Oh, hand jobs are out. <laughs> yes, that's sad. Uh, thermal allodynia. Pain from normally mild temperatures, hot or cold. Uh-huh. And movement allodynia, pain triggered by normal movement of joints or muscles. I don't know about you guys. I move my joints regularly. 
<laughs> and I think my muscles fall off. Some, I know. You got to keep them hidden. Yeah. Don't have me finding them. <laughs> I just, uh, you know. Uh, oh, those. Ch- never mind. Mm-hmm. That seems like that one would suck. Hypoalgesia. What does that mean? That's the opposite of hyper. So uh, decreased sensitivity to pain. Correct. Exactly. Again. <clears throat> Hypoalgesia occurs when painful stimuli are interrupted or decreased somewhere along the path between the input and where they are recognized as pain in the conscious mind. So there's like tons of superheroes with this. Like Bane has this, right? Yes. Yeah, this is a, this is a Bane disease. Hypoalgesia can be caused by chemicals produced by the body during phenomena such as fear and exercise. F- uh, fight or flight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exercise, your baby you're is being crushed by a car and you have to lift that car, you do not feel the pain of your muscles of your being popping back vertebra. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and your tendons falling off your bone. Uh-huh. The use of profanity can help reduce the sensation of pain. This is the hypoalgesic effect of swearing. Fuck you, Torn. Oh, they did feel better. Yeah. I like that. That's that's why this is an explicit podcast, okay. so that we can put up with what we're talking about. The healing. The healing factor of swearing. <laughs> yeah. This phenomenon is particularly strong in people who do not use such words on a regular basis. Ah. Oh, <gasps> okay. Bro. Now we have the scientific explanation for why we tell kids not to swear all the time. Because it's all... I've got friends who've got kids, and mm-hmm. you know, you want to tell them not to swear, but we all fucking swear yeah. it's not a big deal uh, the key is to not swear all the time mm-hmm. and now we know why because of science uh the pain reducing effect of swearing that's right is heightened when you don't swear all the time yeah. so if you have a child mm-hmm. and the child gets a burn uh-huh. you should tell your child to swear just then yeah save right. it for when you need it yeah fuck okay. this hurts and then you be like cunt mom <laughs> <laughs> fuck piss cunt okay let's avoid that one no. <laughs> but it, but it, the more taboo the word is, the, the less pain. Right. The less yeah. pain. All right. That's also science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Swearing in response to pain may activate the amygdala, which in turn triggers a fight or flight response. This leads to a surge of adrenaline, a natural form of pain relief. Mm-hmm. Researchers found that people could hold their hands in ice water for twice as long as usual if they swore compared to neutral words. Oh, okay. What's a good neutral word? Uh, hello. The bucket and wind torn. Oh, that's not neutral. That that'll, that'll fire people up. Cocoa butter, Winnebago. Sure, I know cocoa butter is kind of sexy. Around dull, <laughs> gray. Another study showed that subjects who indicated that they swore regularly each day did not demonstrate as much improvement in tolerance. Of course not. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. life has so made it. me less tolerant to or more tolerant to mm-hmm. pain actually. <laughs> <laughs> the swearing hasn't helped, so I just life is built your up. Metaphorical thick skin, you figure, is yeah. uh, strong enough to underlie your your thin the emotional your thin skin pain body. anyway. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about buckets of ice water? You know, the one time I got punched in the face, uh, it didn't hurt me too much. I just said to the guy, "Don't do that again." You only got punched in the face once that I remember. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> he hit me again, and I fell down, and then he kicked me there. So, oh, yeah. but I don't remember any. That's of That's one of the perks for our next fundraiser. Yeah. Oh, punch, punch Joe, Joe in the face. Yeah. Not my beautiful face. <laughs> next on the list of disorders, congenital analgesia. Okay, so this is something to do with your balls. Yes. Or your hoo ha if you're a lady. A person cannot feel and has never felt physical pain. Oh, oh wow! But oh, well, pain. Analgesia. Well, I so guess by have... extension, it does have something to do with your balls because you get kicked in the balls. Doesn't Fine. bother you. Doesn't matter. Yeah, that'd be progenital pain. No, mm-hmm. progenital analgesia. This is congenital. Oh, analgesia. Okay, this so is the bad kind. So, can they feel normal touch? Uh, for patients with this disorder, cognition and sensation are otherwise normal. Patients oh. can still feel touch, 
though not always temperature. Oh, okay. And there are no detectable physical abnormalities. That seems like a super soldier trait then, right? Yeah. Like that totally. you can feel things and act normally, but you don't feel pain. Well, then again, you don't feel pain, and all of a sudden you don't realize but that this your is, leg is falling off. This is somebody who has never felt pain their whole life because they were born with this condition. Yeah. Children with this condition often suffer oral cavity damage, such mm. as having bitten off the tip of their tongue. Oh, oh, yeah. I like, oh, ah, I, I like the tip of my tongue. And so do the ladies. Or <laughs> fractures to bones. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Because they don't know. Because you don't know. God. Yeah. Unnoticed infections and corneal damage due to foreign objects in the eye are also common. Yeah. Right, because you're not rubbing to get the things out because it just uh, it sits there under your eyelid and just scratches away. Yeah. You, don't, you can't you have like tell. a nail in there. You wouldn't even care. Well, well, yeah, you'd be like, why can't I see? What is going on? <laughs> this is a drawback. This is a drawback. My left eye feels very irony. Yeah, and and, and then you talk about little kids, too, who have, like, limited communication skills, yeah, yeah. right? You know, like, they're like, oh, I can't see all of a sudden, but I'm six months old, so I can't actually tell yeah, you that. Yeah, and not crying. Yeah. Stupid kids. <laughs> so there you go. Pain is a good thing a lot of the time. I guess that's how you figure out these kids have this, is when something goes horribly wrong, and then they don't even react, and you're like, uh-oh. Well, maybe, yeah. This yeah, is this hey, is you're spanking your kid because he's been eyes like what? I don't feel anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna spank you harder. We're gonna. This is the thing What's that's probably gonna mouth? get fixed in the near future with some kind of permanent miniaturized body scanner. Like you'll just have okay. like you know you'll have your whatever the future smartphone is like. Uh huh. But it's constantly looking at your body to you know it's got the medical sensors and stuff. Right. So it goes beep beep detect fracture in left leg. Stop walking on it, you idiot. <laughs> like we'll fix that's it. A sassy phone. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> when when all the artificial intelligences take over, they can act however they like. There are generally two types of non-response exhibited. In sensitivity to pain, the painful stimulus is not even perceived. A patient cannot describe the intensity or type of pain. Uh-huh. And indifference to pain, the patient can perceive the stimulus but lacks an appropriate response. They will not flinch or withdraw when exposed to pain. So somebody will stick you with a needle and you go, oh, I felt that go in. That totally, hurt. That totally uh, hurts. Yeah, that totally uh, – yeah. I felt that, but – I don't know what that means. It's like the same as, uh, you know, licking ice cream to them or something. Next on the list is paresthesia. Para, P-A-R-A. Oh, para. a parathesia. A parathesia. Every okay. time you feel something, you feel it again. Parasthesia is a sensation of tingling, tickling, prickling, pricking, or burning of a person's skin with no apparent long-term physical effect. Oh, lovely. Okay. All right. Yeah, this is like when your foot falls asleep. The manifestation of a paresthesia uh, may be transient or chronic. Okay. Mm. The most familiar kind of paresthesia is the sensation known as pins and needles or of a limb falling asleep. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, This is we all get this. I'm getting it right now. Uh, uh, really? My left foot? I'd like uh, paresthesia from my knee down on my right leg for about five years. You had it? Mm-hmm, yep. Why? Uh, I got hit by a truck. And okay. it like oh. kind of fucked up my leg. From my knee down, it just felt like it was asleep for like five years. So you were Limpy McLimperson for five years? No, no, it had normal function. It just uh, felt like it pins and needles. Yeah, the, the, the whole time. The limpness of the falling asleep is because of lack of blood flow, right? That's right? Which is what causes that pins and needles then. But he was getting pins and needles for a different reason. So yeah, he didn't it was have nerve the lack damage. of blood flow, so it still worked. It was nerve damage. That but but your nerves have healed since then? Uh, evidently. Evidently, because now I have it back. And I went to the doctor and I went, hey, uh, the, the, like, the, the pins and needles sensation is like becoming way bigger. And he goes, ah, that's good. That means the nerves are healing. Mm. Oh. And I went, okay. So, yeah, so for like a year, it was like, you know, really intense pins and needles. That's, that's cool. why you were always swearing for that year. Yeah, <laughs> just constantly. Thing. That's what got it started. That, uh, that did happen after that blood transfusion from that Logan guy. <laughs> 
And that's when your beard showed up. <laughs> hmm. Paresthesia can be caused by temporary restriction of the blood supply in an area of nerves commonly caused by leaning or resting on parts of the body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Poor circulation. Vitamin deficiency and malnutrition. Metabolic disorders like diabetes, hypothyroidism, and hypoparathyroidism. It can also be a symptom of mercury poisoning. What isn't a symptom of so. mercury poisoning? Mercury poisoning pretty much does everything. Like how many shows? How many shows have we been like, oh, this could happen to you because of mercury poisoning? What are your symptoms, sir? Well, I got mercury poisoning. His head exploded. Mercury poisoning yeah. is what you've got. Joint conditions such as rheumatic, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and carpal tunnel syndrome can cause oh, yeah. paresthesia. Yeah. Well, Nerves compressed by chronic neck and spine problems. Nerve damage stemming from injury. Yeah. Kevin Leeson. Woohoo! We call that the Kevin. Or infections such as frostbite or Lyme disease. Uh huh. Neuropathy as a side effect of some chemotherapies. Okay. Uh, chronic paresthesia can be symptomatic of transit ischemic attack. Who ischemic. Knows what, is, who knows what that means? Ischemic. I have no idea. We talked about ischemic colitis in uh, the taste episode. And what did we say it was? <laughs> so no, I just ended the damn thing. Ischemic is a restriction in blood supply to tissues causing a shortage of oxygen and glucose needed for cellular metabolism to keep the tissue alive. There you oh, go. Okay. Mm, so that's chronic, bad. So it can be symptomatic of transient ischemic attack, multiple sclerosis, or lupus erythematosus. Yeah, yeah. And so those are like, uh, you know, conditions that you have that like, never go away. Yeah. A less well-known but still fairly common form of paresthesia is called formication. Oh, I know. Formication. Formication is when you have sex and you take all sorts of awesome poses. Your form is excellent. <laughs> it does sound like so creepily similar to fornication that it. it but I, I do know what this is. I saw because I, you know what formic acid yeah. is. No, no, because I saw a CBC documentary okay. on drug users in the downtown east side. Oh, good, and a lot, and a bunch of them suffer from formication, and it is disgusting. Oh. Well, drug users, ants. Okay, I think I figured this out. Mm -hmm. Formication is the medical term for a sensation of small insects crawling on or under the skin. The word is derived from formica, the Latin word for ant. Formica seems like a more complicated word than ant. Not to be confused with formica. Oh, yeah, something different entirely. Which is when you have construction materials underneath your skin. I was about to say, you don't want that underneath your skin either. In rare cases, individuals become convinced that the sensation is due to the presence of real insects under the skin. This is known as delusional parasitosis. Mm-hmm. Okay. Causes of formication include... <laughs> oh, no. Uh, formication. Onset of menopause. Oh, like menopause isn't enough of a problem. Then you get like ants crawling under your skin. Pesticide exposure. <laughs> oh, that is the so thing you ironic. use to get rid of the <laughs> ants know. causes you to feel ants under your skin. Oh, that's another one of those horrible <laughs> loops like the, uh, the drug use earlier with the opioids. You... Oh, and if you get too much pesticide, maybe you're convinced that the ants are like getting back at you. Oh, they somehow got under my skin. They're there. I can tell. Better add pesticide. Yeah. Oh, no. Now oh, there's no. more of them. Yeah. Diabetic neuropathy. Mm-hmm. Skin cancer. Syphilis. Mm-hmm. Lyme disease or herpes zoster. And mercury poisoning. <laughs> of course. Causes of formation can be a result of alcohol withdrawal in alcoholics and is often accompanied by visual hallucinations of insects. The yeah. DTs. Yeah. Not the DPs. Delirium tremens. Yes. Thank you, yeah. Kevin. Uh-huh. Stimulant drug abuse, particularly amphetamine and cocaine. People experiencing these hallucinations might scratch themselves to the extent of sk- serious skin damage and bleeding, especially when they are delirious. Oh, and here's the photos. <laughs> 
Yeah. There's some photos that we will put on the website, CosticSodaPodcast.com, if you want to see people scratching holes in their skin. <laughs> because they have Because they feel like they have bugs underneath that they want to get out. Now, with meth, isn't it also that the meth recrystallizes under the skin, and a lot of the time they're actually picking out solid little crystallized bits of meth? I don't know about that. All I know is this is the documentary on the CBC that I saw about right. uh, the downtown east side. There was They had one guy on there who he just kept scratching where the he thought the insects were. Right. And he scratched all the way to the bone. Awesome. He scratched through all his skin and muscle. <laughs> and the and he scratched it so constantly that it never healed back. Right. So it like it calcified on either side. So he had this now permanent uh, furrow in his, in his forearm that went all the way to the bone. Didn't he realize that once he got to the bone, well, I guess there aren't really any bugs under there because there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh, oh, I guess he's straight to my bone. Well, you know what his solution was? Shoot more cocaine. Okay, good. Yeah, because uh, this is evidently high. Uh, they call them, the nickname for them are coke bugs. Right. Because uh, intravenous cocaine injectors uh, suffer from them to a much higher amount than uh, than other intravenous drug users. Call back to the cocaine episode. Call back. Formication. <laughs> do, 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 do. There's a party going on right here. Untiny bugs underneath the skin. Yeah. Cortical asterognosis. Oh, that's a that's a Asterognosis. Okay. Asterognosis. One of those pronunciations may be correct. An inability to identify objects placed in the hand. I assume without looking at them. Okay. A patient with there we go. A patient with closed eyes. <laughs> Cannot perceive the position of the fingers on the hand and will not be able to identify everyday objects such as keys or a cell phone if they are placed into that hand. Patients may not be able to identify basic shapes such as pyramids, the four sided die. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh and spheres. Uh, probably like the twenty sided die. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a do no, it's not a dodecahedron, it's something else. Uh-huh. For example, although an individual may report feeling a long metal rod. With multiple pointy rods stemming straight out in a uniform direction, they would not be able to identify it as a fork. Okay. Ah, okay. So then you ask them to describe it, so and they throw, oh, it's this thing with this thing and this thing. And then they go, a fork-shaped object? <laughs> <laughs> would it surprise you if I told you it was a fork? Oh, my God! Asteriognosis is You a know what would be awesome about that? Everything would kind of be a surprise. As long as you kept your eyes mm-hmm. closed. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, oh, this what if is you don't a... Like surpri- uh, what if you don't like yeah, surprises? This is some chilled... Smooth cylindrical thing with an open top and a closed bottom. Open my eyes. It's a glass. Oh my god, that's so awesome! I love glasses. <laughs> yes, life would be like that. Uh, everything would be like Christmas. Every every time you closed your eyes, would be like opening a Christmas present. Horrible, horrible, never ending Christmas. That's like, you would never know what's going on until you open your eyes and looked at hey, it. Hey, listen, it's not the most horrible Christmas. It's not like your parents are standing right behind you being mean to you the whole time. You'd be with your you'd be with your partner and you'd be grabbing bits that you couldn't see and you'd be like, oh, fuck, I hope I've got the wrong. Oh, right imagine, imagine sex with the lights off. Sex with the lights off when you have this. I have no idea what I'm touching. Oh, it'd be so awesome. That's it's like, the oh. wrong hole. It might be like Christmas unless they take away the things that they put in your hand. They just want you to try to. You know, it would it's be like a, a guessing game. <laughs> it would be a sense of discovery for the person who suffers from this. But maybe the other person who has to go through this, it'd be like having sex with a twelve-year, fourteen-year-old. Yes, like, right. Every I just time, don't know right? what to do. Yeah, exactly. Just this fumbling is, and bumbling. This is sexy, right? And they're just kind of slapping <laughs> Slap, your <yeah>. ear. 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's there's a there's a there's two sides of this coin. Unless you're into getting your ear slapped. <laughs> That I'm not sure that's that's exactly how it would manifest itself. But. Next on the list of uh, tactile disorders, mm-hmm. sensory processing disorder or SPD. Okay. Significant problems to organize sensation coming from the body and the environment comes in two forms: over responsivity and under responsivity. People suffering from over responsivity <laughs> might, okay, for example, uh-huh. refuse to kiss or hug, not because they didn't like the person. But because the sensation of skin contact can be very negative. Okay. They may dislike textures in fabrics, foods, or grooming products to which most people would not react. This can interfere with normal function as in a child who refuses to wear socks or an adult who is such a picky eater that they can't go to restaurants with friends. So this is just like everything is too much. But, mm-hmm. but it, could be very, it could be like specific. Like they just don't like the feel of certain sock fabrics on their feet, but they're okay with regular clothes and blah, blah, blah. Could be that way. Okay. Mm. All right. I'm not saying no. All right. <laughs> People suffering from under-responsivity might fidget excessively. Joe? Right. Fidgeting right now. <laughs> Those fidgeters. Yeah. I used to be way worse. Uh-huh. He may, uh, Joe may suck on <laughs> or bite clothing, fingers, pencils, etc. Not okay. mine, though. So under-responsivity means you don't have enough. It's you're just constantly trying to get more like uh, stimuli. stimuli. The main form of therapy for SPD places a child in a room specifically designed to stimulate and challenge all of the senses. Ooh. Children may ex- be exposed to strong sensations such as stroking with a brush, <laughs> vibrations, or rubbing. Okay. <laughs> wow. Oh, Torn, Torn is like getting the heebie-jeebies. Child, just talking ru- about child this. rubbing? <laughs> no, but like like brushing their hair or something, probably. It's something. It's, it doesn't have to be creepy. This is. I'd rather just like throw phone blocks at him. Can I do that? <laughs> this is why you're not a childhood psychologist or occupational therapist. Fun for me, though. <laughs> this is why you should never be allowed to become one of these things. Play may involve a range of materials to stimulate the senses, such as Play-Doh or finger painting. That's fun. But uh, not if you are uh, over-responsive to those sorts of things, because it can become, it's just too much. Well, maybe you just have to do it a little bit at a time. I guess So I guess Work the therapy that works on it is like is aversion therapy kind of thing. Like, just jump in with both fingers and, like, finger paint and play with Play-Doh and bada-bing, bada-boom. People who receive a diagnosis of SPD may also have signs of anxiety problems, ADHD, food intolerance, behavioral disorder, schizophrenia, nocturnal enuresis. Everyone knows what that is. Nocturnal enuresis. Nocturnal enuresis. Whatever your esis is, it happens at night. It gets into your esis at night. It's bedwetting. Oh, Oh. okay. All right. It gets out of your esis at night then. Prenatal alcohol exposure, learning learning difficulties, autism, as well as people with traumatic brain injury or who have cochlear implants put in. Cochlear implant. Oh, mm-hmm. for a callback to our hearing episode. Yep.
Kevin, you were there. Back in May, we performed our Lesser of Evils Marathon with some of the funniest people in Vancouver at the Seven Dining Lounge. We recorded that entire show. We're going to be releasing parts of it online individually as bonus pay-what-you-want content. I want to pay $7. You can do that. I want to pay $7.50. You can do that. I want to pay nothing. You can do that even if you want. What is the Lesser of Two Evils Marathon? I wasn't here to see it done live. Then you're an idiot and I hate you. If you like Lesser of Two Evils. And you like funny people. And you like paying whatever you want. Get get it. it. I heard there's a place you can go. Causticgear.com. Well, this leads right into uh, the section I want to talk about, sensory illusions. Sensory illusions. Mm-hmm. One of them uh, is referred to as paradoxical heat or cold. Right. So when uh, I know what this is. Oh, yeah? Okay. It's, uh, I'm in a fiery building. My skin is burning. I'm like, oh, it's cold in here. Shut and then the window. You, and then you time travel, and then you come back and see yourself burning paradoxical heat. So you don't feel it. You see yourself that's, in the okay, past sure. burning to that's, death. That's one way to do it, too. All right. Uh, no, paradoxical heat or cold is the thermal illusion that may arise during prolonged intense skin cooling, typically upon the return of skin temperature to a neutral level after intense cooling. For example, moving indoors after having been outside on a cold day, found in 10 to 12% of healthy individuals. So this is when you walk inside and it's normal temperature, but you feel super hot because, you're because you've been outside cold. in hmm. the cold. So everybody gets this, right? I totally. Yeah. yeah. I get this a lot. Yeah. So I guess when they're talking about paradoxical heat sensation happening in 10 to 12% of healthy individuals, they get it even when they maybe, haven't been outside in the Maybe cold. all three of us are in that 10 to 12%. No, I think that that's probably pretty universal, but that it, that's just to describe what people feel like when they get it, when they walk into a normal room and then they just feel like super hot. I always feel super hot. It's because of my new haircut. <laughs> The second illusion that I'd like to talk about is the thermal grill illusion. The thermal grill. Stop getting all up in my thermal grill, he was heard to say. Is, is this the one? No, that's, that's just an illusion that he was up in your thermal grill. Is this the one that makes you think that George Foreman cooked food is actually healthier? <laughs> wow. A shot of the Foreman grill. I, I actually love contact grills. Originally demonstrated in 1896 by Swedish physician T. Thunberg. Thunberg. The illusion is created by an interlaced grill of warm 40 degrees Celsius and cool 20 degrees Celsius bars. What? So not even hot and cold. Warmish and coolish. Warmish and coolish. Oh, 40 degrees Celsius is pretty hot for me. But not if it's like, uh, if, if you touch it, you can touch it safely with sure. your bare hand. No right. problem. It's not as hot as like when your car has been in the sun all day and you go in and you sit down in the back, your neck, neck hits that, that warm part of the seat. No, that's, it is. that's more than 40. That would be more than sure. 40 for sure. Yeah, yeah. That is definitely hotter than this, right? This is, you can very safely touch a 40 degrees Celsius metal bar and very safely touch a 20 degrees Celsius Metal bar. Yes. And they've got, so uh, T. Thunberg created an interlacing grill where every other bar was either the warm one or the cold one. What a strange man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) He found when someone pressed their hand against this grill, he or she experienced the illusion of burning heat. Oh. Your skin is burning. This is how you build your own uh, pain box from uh, your own ganja bar in Dune. Is you yeah. build one of these inside a little box and people put their hands in 
and the the t- two temperature things touch them and they feel terrible pain without mm. actually being damaged. Yeah, mm. th- there's no injury whatsoever. If you were to press one of your hands against a, a cool bar, only coolness would be experienced, and if they pressed against a warm bar, only warmth would be experienced. In 1896, no less. Yeah. Researchers have used the illusion to demonstrate that burning pain sensation is, in fact, a mixture of both cold and heat pain, and that it is only the inhibition of the cold pain channel that reveals the heat component. So you're telling me yeah. if I have a burning hot element on my stove yeah. and I touch it, it's all it's fine. No, no, <laughs> no. That's not no, what we're saying at be, all. Because it's hotter than what everything else that you're t- yeah. that you're feeling. That is. Th- your burning pain sensation is actually delivered by a combination of sensing heat and cold. So the sensation of you're putting your hand against a burning hot element, yes, is contributed by the burning hotness of the element, but right. also by the coolness of the air around it, probably. Okay. Yep. All right. Right. If you were in a super hot room and touched that hot stove, it would feel slightly less hot. Yeah. Okay. It would still feel hot because it was hotter. And you'd still, your skin would be burning and all the rest of that jazz. Yeah. Finally, a use for my super hot room. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about haptics. Hap- uh, uh, haptics are. Haptic birthday! <laughs> <laughs> don't sing the song. We'll owe the money. I don't know if you'd enjoy a haptic birthday. There'd be less talking and socializing, but. Uh, what but a lot more is, touching. But yeah, a lot more touching, exactly. darn. Haptics is any form of nonverbal communication involving touch. Okay. Uh, examples may include a uh, handshake, kiss in the cheek, hugs, things like that. Punch in the eye. Mm-hmm. Punch in the, uh, that is haptic. That does communicate yep. to people that, pretty that. strongly. <laughs> Frequency of touch varies significantly between different cultures. One study examined touching in coffee houses. Uh, during a one-hour sitting, 180 touches were observed by Puerto Ricans, 110 mm. by French, Ooh. none by English, and two mm. by Americans. Oh, that's, oh, sounds about right. I'm going to Puerto Rico. <laughs> which, were, which were probably handshakes or fist bumps. Yeah. Right? Or uh, kisses on the cheek. Well, or hugs. But I mean America, the Americans. Oh, the Americans. Yes. Too, yeah. None yeah, yeah. by the English. None by the English. That cannot surprise anybody. Oh, please. That surprised yeah. the English least of all. In high-touch countries, a kiss on the cheek might be considered a polite greeting, while in Sweden it may be considered presumptuous. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a shame, because if I... If Hollywood has taught me anything, all those ladies are tall, blonde, and love to wear bikinis. Kiss a Swede. That's what the shirts all say, isn't it? Mm. Kiss me, I'm Swedish. I I don't have a single shirt that doesn't say that. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk about some haptic technology. There's pretty cool stuff here. The Opticon. That was the movie with the... What's his face? That was the octagon, yes, Kevin. No, no, this is just a giant transformer that he transforms into an eyeball. That's right. Octagon, stare! I thought it would be more like, you know, how Perceptor is a microscope? Yes. Uh Uh, What would be the one that would be the uh, the telescope? Oh, Oh. yeah, okay. Or he just is a giant eyeball that, like, circles the planet, and it's like a spy spy satellite. Oh, spy satellite. Opticons. That's the one right there. there. That's it. Uh, it's actually an electrochemical device that enables blind people to read printed material. Okay. okay. Electromechanical device. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the Opticon user moves the camera module across a line of print. The tactile array in the main electronics unit contains a 24 by 6 matrix of tiny metal rods. Okay. Rods are vibrated that correspond to black parts. I knew a guy named, in uh, high school named Tiny Metal Rod. <laughs> So did I, actually. <laughs> Why was it, what was the metal part? He was in the heavy metal. In heavy, oh, he loved tiny it. metal rod. His name was Rod. <laughs> he loved Iron Maiden. And he was short. <laughs> when, you head, when you headbag in that height, your head keeps hitting the butts of people ahead of you. It's yeah, really, yeah. really bad. Yeah, watch out Poor there, guy. tiny metal rod. <laughs> <laughs> I love Shit it. Shit up to it and rock it. Rock and roll. Ow! Yes, yes. <laughs> 
The tactile array in the main electronics unit contains a 24 by 6 matrix of tiny metal rods. Rods are vibrated that correspond to black parts of the image, okay. thus forming a tactile image of the letter being viewed by the camera module. So this so, is basically like it um, magnifies the print in it, a sense. It turns black into sticky up. Right. right, so that you right. Can, so that you can physically feel the the printed part and the not printed. So you part. have the camera is like looking at the page and right. it reads the black print and then it turns <laughs> it into a, a, these rods that actually pop up in the shape of uh, the yeah. print. Yeah, but they still oh, okay. would be very tiny, or do they magnify? So because like it's because I know Daredevil can read uh, the printed page just from feeling the slight uh, yeah, yeah. raised raised, raised, raised uh, ink. Of the ink. But this is something different. Well, the device is uh, not too tiny, the, the picture that I've got. It looks like you can put uh, your four fingers on your left hand, One, I'm guessing one in each sensor or across the yeah. long sensor, and then a tiny one that you bring across they, the printer. It kind of looks like an old school CB radio from like the 70s. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So as, I think depending on the font size, that may or may not be helpful. If it's doing like one to one, probably has a scale. I'm guessing on yeah. it. I mean, this is you're just talking once you're sca- once you're scanning it, you're just talking about what you how you deal with the data that's coming yeah, through. Exactly. You All can right. you could scale it. Oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, as the user moves the lens module along the print line, tactile images of print letters are felt moving across the array of rods under the user's finger. The Opticon was the brainchild of John Linville, a professor of electrical engineering at Stanford University. Linville's daughter Candy, who was born in 1952, had been blind since the age of three. Mm -hmm. So he's got an impetus. Yeah, all right. In 1962... Otherwise, he'd be like, fuck the blind. (laughs) (laughs) That's usually what happens, though. People get uh, uh, personally affected by something, and then they become an innovator in that. Where's my payoff by big global warming? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't have to care about anything because my kids are fine. In 1962, Linville visited an IBM laboratory in Germany, where he observed a high-speed printer that used a small set of pins to print letters onto strips of paper. The dot matrix printer. Yeah. Uh, he thought if you could feel the hammers with your fingertip, you could surely recognize the image. The Opticon was manufactured and marketed from 1971 to 1996, but was expensive and not readily available to the public. Approximately 15,000 Opticons were eventually sold. That doesn't Paid- sound like a lot. No. For the, it was being sold from 1971 to 1996. But, That's 25 years. But yep. they were sold for a million dollars each. He made a <laughs> killing. Could be. <laughs> well, I, I imagine that kind of scanning and uh, transfer mm. technology happening at the speed that you would want it to in order to read was very expensive at the time. Yeah, but they got it down to the size of a CB radio. Yeah. Page reader technology in the 90s basically put this device out of business. And as of 1996, all manufacturer of the Opticon has ceased. Because now you can just scan the whole page and it'll read it out to you if you want. Where do I I find that technology? Sometimes I'm at work and I'm drawing and I want to read an article on the internet. There must be some like programs. Oh, or there's something where you there can... are there are browser plugins that will read web pages out to you. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah absolutely. But imagine what the porn industry In the could do with of the Tilda Opticon. Swinton? With the Opticon, you could like strap it to your Wang, and then it could like you know hammer little pins into it uh, oh. by running the scanner over pictures of naked ladies. Long distance. Just put the shapes of naked ladies right onto your way. If you don't think that the <gasps> porn and sex industry is not working on telesex You mean devices. it could draw a picture of a vagina onto my penis? <laughs> yeah. It would be just like uh, it ba- a It's vagina. basically sex. <laughs> I'm having sex right now, everybody. It's all the parts that you could handle yourself and are really not the just, point. The only unfortunate thing would be is if it got like a power surge. And just all these pins just like, dink. <laughs> and, then, and then you return the Opticon. I was like, why is this filled with KY jelly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you renamed it the Dong. And why does it have written on the side the Dongacon? The Dongacon. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wonder if any blind person ever like stuck their penis in it just to see. Somebody must have, right? Wait a minute. Your your penis would fit in where those fingers are? If for no other reason to well, find out whether how exactly how much more sensitive it is. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, uh, this is an experiment worth conducting. Okay. Uh, any listeners have an Opticon? I will, I will, I'm volunteering to turn it into a Dongacon for you. Ideas for the webisode. Uh-huh. Uh, another uh, use of haptics, cadaver replacement. The ratio of students to cadavers at many medical schools could be as high as 80 to 1. What? Mm. Wait, why, why are they admitting cadavers in? <laughs> and what do they expect them to learn? Well, you kind of need cadavers at medical school so you can practice operations and not on live people. All right. This is their trying. So you're saying if I go to uh, if I go to cadaver medical school, yeah. If you go I to will, cadaver school, if I go to that... cadaver school. <laughs> you don't need get... to learn how to be a cadaver, Torn. That'll happen naturally. I will get to operate on eighty cadavers. This uh, is what you're no, saying to me. No, I think there's eighty students for every one cadaver. Oh, it's the other way around. The other way around. That yeah. was my confusion. <laughs> yeah, the ratio of students to cadavers is eighty to one. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's only the There's one. Not a, if you had 80 cadavers for every student, you would That'd not be, have a cadaver you'd never problem. Never have to go outside. You have your own parties. <laughs> you just be frolic inside, like surrounded by. Hey, dead everybody! Bodies. All my friends. <laughs> it would be creepy if you had 80 cadavers to one person. Where would they store them all? I guess you could stack them up like cordwood. They don't really need to be comfortable. You just have them on a rack. Yeah, like yeah. One of those rotating clothes racks. Yeah, yeah. And you go uh, male, female, like alternating, and then you insert the penis in the vagina. Do so I? That, so they don't slide off one another. Oh, it's like Lego. Okay, right. They act yes. like Legos. Yeah. That's in the 80 to 1 uh, cadaver it's quite, to students. Quite school. literally how you mount them. <laughs> Scientists wanted to create a 3D virtual human whose anatomy the students will be able not only to see but actually feel. A computerized human model capable of being cut on a computer screen while experiencing the sensation of cutting through the skin, pushing away fat, and uncovering blood vessels. Okay. With the help of a tactile device as an intermediary, users can manipulate virtual cadavers on the screen while experiencing them as if they're real. What? The concept is similar to the flight simulator a student pilot may use, but the haptic human will be far more sophisticated, allowing student doctors to perform virtual dissections and surgeries. Wow, that sounds awesome. What voice should I use for this? Will uh, there still be, when I cut into it, will there be virtual blood that spurts up into my face? <laughs> Perhaps uh, on the screen, but not in your face, I don't think. No. Yeah. Uh, of course, you could just ask a friend to stand by yeah, stand and, by and just, squirt you. It's like, oh, no, I've, I've pierced the artery. It's, I'm, it's bleeding out. And then you just have somebody with like a... A little squirt gun full of <laughs> a super soap. soaker. Yeah. A super soaker. If you hit a, le- a femoral artery, you will feel the texture of skin, the firmness of an athletic muscle, or mm. the flabbiness of belly fat, uh-huh. the rigidity of your bony elbow, or the pulsatile flow of blood at your wrist pulse point. Pulsatile. Wow. Yeah, that's a quote. Mm-hmm. A working prototype would cost an estimated hey. fifteen million dollars. Worth it. If it sounds like a lot, consider that a mid-sized cadaver lab costs a medical school about three to four million dollars a year. Oh, so just cash in all those cadavers. <laughs> Summons all the other schools and get your haptic uh, technology. But pulsatile fill, isn't that? That's the groundhog that comes out on Groundhog Day, right? Pulsatile flow. <laughs> pulsatile flow is his wife. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. there you go. Flow, get out here. I can't see my shadow. I want to sleep some more. Tune in next week for the exciting conclusion to this episode of Caustic Soda. <laughs> <laughs>